0: church podcast my name is Chris Moore we get together about twice a week and we chew on God's word and talk biblical principles and practices here the church staff uh, all gather together and share that with you and hopefully you're encouraged and equipped and um that it helps you walk in righteousness in your life we have Jarrell Carper hello
1: Jarrell hey Chris hey Jarrell it's good to have you It's good to have you in your office. It is good to have me. (laughs) Hey, yeah, we are continuing 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Yeah, um, there are a lot of episodes between these episodes, Mm -hmm. so I always feel like it's good to review. Uh, Peter's writing a letter to Christians who have been dispersed from Rome, Gentile Christians to Asia Minor. Uh, They're undergoing hardship, cultural disequilibrium, and religious persecution. And they're trying to be assimilated into Roman culture in Asia Minor. Peter's like, hey, let me write Let me write you something. Give you some encouragement. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in my um, brain, you said Paul. It's that ingrained Peter, into me. You, you know, said Peter. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, go back and listen to four more episodes <laughs> where we said we would never talk about this oh, every time. At this point, we'll have to bring it up every time. So uh we're tracing three themes. The first is this tension of being resident aliens or exiles in a culture, residents of one kingdom, but um you citizens. know citizens of another. Mm-hmm. uh the tension of rejoicing in the midst of suffering, and then this call to hope in Christ. So we're gonna hit um most of those today, mostly the first and third. So let me just uh we're gonna we're gonna cover four big um you know concepts that that peter is introducing in this text. We're going from 1 Peter 1 13 the whole way through verse 25. So this is the biggest chunk of text. Buckle up. Buckle up. So well I'm just I'll just kind of walk us through it here. Uh, the first invitation from Peter to his audience is hope. And so in verse 13 we start. Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully entirely on the grace (laughs) that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So first thing he's saying is this called a holiness. Um, And it's, it's coming after the therefore, which is like a nod to the previous section, which was all about the beauty of our salvation. So it's kind of, Paul's first imperative. And if you notice when you're reading, you, we haven't had a single imperative. Um, for those of you with first grade grammar degrees, <laughs> that, that is a sentence that's Not calling me. for action. It's a you as the subject. And, Versus um, the
0: indicative.
1: And that, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Both have a period, so it can be... <laughs> <laughs> maybe an exclamation point is kind of like the imperative. Oh, I like that. Of our day. Yeah. Um, I realized the other day I, I put so many exclamation points in my emails because it's like I'm trying to... Con- connote denote like happiness i'm not just being like bland but
0: i had this conversation real quick off topic
1: (laughs) (laughs) speaking of hope (laughs) Um,
0: anytime i get a one word text message back with a period at the end i immediately intonate
1: yes frustration or disappointment Yep, yeah Yeah. the exclamation point therefore the tool of all youth pastors and people that want to write happy emails (laughs) all right so Um, but what's interesting here is that in order for us to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us through revelation of Jesus Christ, in light of all that we know about salvation, the, the two kind of tools that we're going to use to bring about hope, um, Paul says to prepare our minds for action and to be sober minded. So that's kind of, um, that first phrase, prepare your minds for actions. If you have different translations, it might say, um, gird up the loins of your brain basically and so if you're not into pants and you want to wear big long robes in the first century um if you're gonna run you had to pick them up pick up those robes so you can actually run and so it's just kind of um brace yourself get ready prepare to action so um buckle your bootstraps or i don't know like what english modern day idiom would work but it's a it's an invitation to preparation and take it, taking it seriously. And the second is being sober minded. It's like the, the imagery is not being drunk. Mm -hmm. So a sober mind. So there's this connection between the truth of our salvation, what we're half, what we have to do with our brains to take that seriously in order to have hope. So there's like an intellectual exercise to hope. And I, I feel like that can ring true for us today of, um, you know, even just the last twenty four hours, we've had a lot, a lot of major world news <laughs> and national news, and it can be easy to to give up hope. But there is this discipline that we constantly are preparing our minds for action to be meditating and learning and chewing on the good news of salvation in Christ, so that we can keep our hope fixed fully. And while I think that is more than just a mental eyes or. Uh, mental exercise for Paul or for Peter. It is not less than that. Um, Yeah. And I think one thing
0: that we could really take away from this is just acknowledging the constant pull for um, intellectualism versus experientialism um, or passivity versus agency. Like these are all things that are present in scripture uh, and we don't want to forsake one for the other. And so this is very clearly a put this and we see that like meditate on your word day and night. These yeah. are active things that if you're not doing you, it, it would be foolish to anticipate the benefits of whatever that thing is. You're yeah. you're called to do.
1: Yeah. And contextually, if you're in this audience, um, this would be something you'd need to hear. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't give up hope, mm-hmm. <laughs> set your hope fully on this or, don't turn to something else for your hope, whether that's materialism or some other conformity that might actually provide you more immediate or tangible or, you know, felt sense of hope. (laughs) Um, And I think that's a definite struggle for us in our culture today. The things that we end up putting our hope in for salvation other than in Christ and his coming uh, revelation. So anyways, if you feel convicted about the rat race, <laughs> good.
0: Yeah, that is the... <laughs> the Gird your result.
1: loins and put your hope fully in Christ. So,
0: And I think we'd probably both agree too that we have, it. most of, at least our lives, have a little bit of a more nefarious enemy where things have gone relatively well Re- in our lives. You know, we've probably never experienced hardship that can come from being you know kicked out of your country or right. you know in in deep poverty or these kinds of things um so we have to like be really careful to stay awake and stay
1: vigilant yeah yeah it's uh it's easy for the idols to creep in when they're sneaky mm-hmm. you know? so he goes on and so I'm, I'm trying to keep in mind when i was reading this i was kind of taken at how direct some of these imperatives are that like my thing, my posture as a pastor would be to spend more time like comforting and, um, like it's so oh, you guys are doing great. Hang in there. <laughs> like we're, on we're praying for you over here. <laughs> and he, but he starts out with just this run on sentence about how cool Jesus is. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to give you four big commands and they're not light. And it's just kind of, all right, Peter, like, why are you so passionate about giving these imperatives to an audience that's already suffering? And I think he's just seeing the direct connection between the theology and the ethics, which Mm -hmm. we'll we'll talk about. And that if this is true, it's going to change how you live. So I'm urging you to live this way that that shows the true transformation that's taking place in you, shows your true identity as citizens of heaven. So like, don't, like, don't allow the despairing situation that you're in to justify unfaithful actions to Christ. And he go. That's the next point in verse fourteen. Is like as as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Um, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile okay that's our third point but yeah this idea of holiness of um, con- conforming to what's around you that that like you have been redeemed in Christ it's easy to slide back <laughs> to, yeah. to the former self so like don't neglect holiness and I um, you know I didn't dive too far into the specific word there but when we talk about Christian like Holiness and righteousness, we absolutely mean things that not doing bad things, but I think that also includes doing good things <laughs> mm-hmm. like it's not just like I didn't do anything bad. It's kind of like the illustration I didn't murder today, yeah, the illustration I always use is like, well, I didn't bully anything at's anyone at school. Or like, well, did you stop the bully from bullying someone else? like mm-hmm. how far does holiness extend? um that's gonna lead to a fun conversation, but um basically yeah there's a temptation to fall back into sinful patterns when we're in difficult situations we want some type of relief it's hard to stick it in there and i think this is that kind of concept of temptation and testing that like jesus never broke and so when we say like jesus was tempted as we are and yet did not sin it's like he never like the pressure kept mounting and he never cracked mm-hmm. <laughs> so he actually encountered significantly more temptation and testing and I guess in my mind that I do because I just cave (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) like yes I will take that immediate (laughs) urgent out of my two please yeah (laughs) hand me another one and and so I think Peter's very aware actually of kind of the emotional like like psycho theological side of his people I don't even that's a word but like what are these people that I care about going through and what are they tempted to do? Like they're tempted to lose hope and they're tempted to fall back Mm -hmm. (laughs) into their former ways of ignorance. And I'm telling you like, first of all, Jesus is legit. So don't lose hope. Second of all, um, God, God is a holy God and you are now his people. Mm -hmm. So be holy.
0: Yeah. And he's talking specifically here about this, the sins that they would have been comforted in familiar with in that state of ignorance prior to the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. But would it be too far of a stretch to say, while he's not specifically talking about this, this applies to the cultural context they're in where they were surrounded, not only in a foreign place, but a foreign place that was pagan. And we are, you know, our televisions, our radios, our social media, we are very much exiles in that same way. And so to be vigilant of those things as well.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure, you know, it's still the Roman Empire expanding, like how much different are the cultural temptations between when they were pagan Romans now saved versus in a pagan Asian minor context that's being Romanized. I don't know. Sure. I can't imagine they're whole like entirely different. But sure. yeah, your point is valid that, um, yeah, like, I mean, let's go down to that cult temple worship and, you know, have yeah. a fun night. <laughs> yeah. All right, that sounds great. <laughs> This, it's been a rough day. I'm yeah. like, yeah. And we can laugh, but I, I do, I mean, if you're listening to this, maybe take a, take a second and think like, man, under times of distress, where am I tempted to turn back on, mm-hmm. uh, like disregard a call to holiness in order to relieve myself of the pressure that I'm facing? And um, the the reason that Peter gives for this ethic, the theology behind the ethic is God's holiness. Mm-hmm. Um, The theology behind the first ethic was the beauty of Christ's salvation. So he keeps going um, into the third point, which is to fear God. So, And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. That's interesting. (laughs) Conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. So like your ransom wasn't like, here's the sweet gold. (laughs) Your ransom was the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Um, So he's pulling, um, you know, Israelite imagery again. He's pulling these Gentiles into the story of Israel. Um, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, (laughs) who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, um, and so there is this sense that God is our Father, but He's also still our Judge, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that I think He's kind of logically flowing. Okay, you just call Him to Holiness. God is holy, but like there's also this this holiness is pointing to the fact that He judges impartially according to our deeds. Um, and you could go like so theological on that, be like, well, we're saved by the blood of Christ that's what he's saying. Therefore, (laughs) therefore still have that fear that like, Mm -hmm. there's this tension of God being father, but a father that you still respect. And, um, Brett's been talking some about that in parenting of like, how do we parent our kids in a way that they know that like part of us showing our love for them is the sense of respect or, or fear. It's like, you're not, not a pushover. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting, I wasn't quite sure. Like, um, to totally apply this other than I, I taught the high schoolers the other night out of colossians and it was on putting off your old self putting on a new self and this kind of concept of you know killing sin and like mm-hmm. if you were really to try to purge yourself of the the desires and actions of your old self like that old self has died so treat it as if it's dead so kill it and like what degrees like if you really feared the lord like how far would you go to um, create patterns and rhythms in your life where you would not sin, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it can be something that I think is lost. Uh, it, You know, as evangelicals, we're trusting in Christ alone and faith alone for our salvation. And so there's always like, well, then what do I do with works? And yep. it doesn't mean don't give a crap about them. <laughs> yeah, right. um, There's still this sense of fear of God. So, it is just like an ongoing tension of God is our father, but he is also still judge.
0: One thing I try to remind people of pretty frequently, because I, I typically think that all problems come down to, I have a wrong view of God or a wrong view of myself is just reminding them of the cosmic um, scale of God that goes beyond our understanding and existence and his holiness as something incomprehensible in a lot of ways of just this purifying white hot light um i'm speaking abstractly of course but uh just to really reveal what response do you have it, i'm going to use a really silly example and a fair amount of listeners probably won't know what i'm talking about but cosmic horror is a genre of literature and okay, movies you and can systems. stop chris yeah um but one of the things like we as a part of our culture and folklore and stuff is like these elder beings and stuff. And you have this scale, you know, you usually see one person in front of this massive black shadow on the horizon. And it gives you that sense of dread that we don't have most of the time in our day-to-day lives. Maybe you have a transcendental experience looking at a skyscraper or something, but to even try to begin to compare that to God really puts things in perspective. Um, And I was reading in Reformed Pastor uh, Richard Baxter's book, and one of the things he talks about is how you care for the flock with Christ's blood in mind, that it, it was the blood of Christ, just like he's talking about here, that paid for these people. So act accordingly. <laughs> like how you care. Value them. Yeah. yeah value yeah. them to fit that that model that Christ has given us through his atonement. And that that I think helps put things in perspective for me of, okay, am I am I dabbling in sin? Am I leading people well? Am I caring for people well? Because if I believe they've been purchased by the blood of, of Christ, who is worthy of my fear, love, adoration, all these things, then my life will reflect that.
1: Yeah. And that's a great transition to our fourth point. Guys.
0: <laughs> was it? <I laughs> Sometimes I it was people rather. ask
1: me like, is it hard being a pastor? I'm like, well, it actually wouldn't be that hard being a bad pastor. <laughs>
0: I could, yeah, I'm sure it's I, very easy. I
1: could do that pretty easily, but to be a good one, <laughs> that's hard. Um, and so then the, the fourth point. So we're, we've had hope, holiness, fearing God, and then the last one is to love one another. So having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly um, from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So uh, the theology is that we have been born again. Um, therefore we love one another ethically. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm just trying to put myself like, why is this something Peter's saying? I, yeah. I think that it'd be easy to have hostility within, uh, between Christians during time of exile. <laughs> wow. Hard to imagine for us yeah. today <laughs> Um that, we start to bicker uh, with one another and as the family of God, sometimes we fight with our family the most. Um, And so I think Peter's exhortation to love one another is pertinent. Um, And he's grounded in the fact that we've been born again. Um, And it's like earnestly isn't just um, the difficult nature of it in the present, but it's also the fact that it, it keeps going like you need to keep loving one another. So one of my takeaways for all of this was that, Imagine if you um, are, li- are in Asia Minor, you're not part of this, these Christians, you're looking in from the outside and you're seeing a, a corporate people group that is living with hope, that is living uh, holy lives, that has hope um, in a, a God that they fear and respect and is radically loving one another. If you're looking at that from the outside there'd be a sense of um, a compelling curiosity about that community and that that um, those followers of Jesus would be um, proclaiming the gospel into their particular context corporately. So when we think about evangelism, we often think man, I need to like have my gospel thing figured out. I need to find someone and like, that's all great, but there's another layer of what it means to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And that is a corporate nature that the body of Christ when living this way actually proclaims the good news as it steps into um, culture in uniquely like subversive ways, um, living as people of exile, those who love one another. I mean, there's a compelling nature to this and, and it isn't just like, man, I hope I'm like holy enough that my neighbor asked me like, how could you be so holy? <laughs> like, yeah, maybe that happens. I'm thinking more of like a compelling, like a, a radical picture of like a, a kingdom community that itself is proclaiming the king um, and what's interesting the the second takeaway from all of this that I have is how much Paul grounds his ethics and his theology, and so for each of these exhortations there's a theological philosophical backbone that's driving it, and so we talked about this before at how much um, like the modernity has produced this concept of the autonomous self where truth and ethics is found within me and within you. <laughs> and there's no outside objective source. And so that's led us into any of the places you can imagine if you're paying attention to what's going on in the world. And I worked with high schoolers for a while while and they bought this hook, line, and sinker from their teachers and textbooks and peers and pop culture and music and um, this this concept that my ethic is actually grounded in my truth as opposed to some outside source of truth. There's a point where that actually breaks down very radically Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you um man i hate to name examples but the one that comes to mind is just as it relates to gender and sexuality of um feminism as it relates to transgenderism is Mm -hmm. that if we're going to uphold the dignity of what a woman is who has um give it been given that body who has gone through child labor and or is participating in sports at a particular level but then also upholding the honor of the trans community, which is a hot topic right like today with mm-hmm. Texas. <laughs> and like you see these two expressions of um, the autonomous self as it relates to ethics, they actually land at a point that that they confront each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so then you have to figure out what do you do in that situation? And um, we're not here to talk about that issue. That's just an example of where the ideology that our culture has given us actually breaks down. And so as Christians, to live within that culture from a different foundation, like ought to be compelling and ought to appear like good news. And I don't know exactly what that looks like in Eugene right now, but I think we should be thinking about that. Like as exiles in this city called to hope, called to holiness, called to fearing God, called to loving one another, what would it look like for us to view ourselves as a collective euangelion, a collective good news into this city in the midst of people that um i, I think are have bought Hookline and Sinker a uh, philosophical foundation that is actually without foundation <laughs> um anyways, that's a whole other thing, but I, it's really 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 interesting to me,
0: so. yeah, well, two things I think about is uh the fact that the world will know who we are based on our love and uh, if it's if it's if their imaginations of what a christian is a true Christian, which they don't know the difference. They don't know the difference between uh, a late night salesperson in a white suit who's got a Bible in their hand and, you you know, an honest man who's up expositing the word faithfully. Um, If they're going to, if they're going to have an image in their mind and it's not rooted in how we behave and our love for each other and our love towards the stranger around us, uh, we have to look inside and go what where what theological foundation have we gotten wrong that has led our behavior to um to denigrate the name of christ
1: mm-hmm. um
0: because ultimately that's what happens is that the 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 work of Christ is diminished, the effects of the regeneration the purchase and our redemption in God's grand narrative, all that gets diminished when we aren't reflecting a behavior that looks like that. I oftentimes think of for most people, what I've heard in my experience talking to people about this is when you mention something like Mormons to people, almost exclusively my experience has been, oh, they're super nice people. Mm-hmm. Super, <laughs> super nice people. Well dressed. <laughs> well dressed. Um, you know, and maybe they'll point out some of the this, the uniqueness or some of their more curious or beliefs, but typically it's that they're a nice person. Um, but you know, and I think there's a spiritual element to that too, that we have the truth and therefore we aren't ever going to probably be favorable in, in the world's lens. But, um, when you look at acts, you sure see a church that was grounded in the truth of who Christ was and what work had been done so much so that, you know, the governors and stuff were starting to notice and going, "Wow, well, wait a minute. They're caring better for our people than we mm-hmm. are. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So,
1: yeah. And so I think just, yeah, to wrap up just for the listener, like which of these do you feel like, you know, if you were to be honest with yourself is most convicting to you? Like, have you lost hope uh, uh, mentally in the good news of Christ? Um, have you lost holiness? Do <laughs> mm-hmm. you slip back into some easy temptations? Have you lost the, the fear of God? Um, the tension of father and judge and then, or have you just been grumpy towards your brothers and sisters in Christ? And um, however that looks, whatever not loving them has looked like for you, is that what you need to work on? And so um all of this is grounded in our regeneration in Christ through the spirit, which makes it possible for transformation and to not conform. But yet Peter still seems to think there's something that we need to do. Otherwise he wouldn't exhort us. So um Take the yoke of Christ and encounter true life. And we'll see you at this next time. <laughs> first, <laughs> first Peter two, first. we are going slower than I wanted. Hey, we made it through the first chapter. There you go. Five
0: episodes in.
1: Yep. First one. The Lord is movie. good. The Lord is good.
0: Jarrell. Thank you so Thanks, much Christ. for coming on. I appreciate it.